The Yankees need to get fat over the next week. Games against the Orioles, Indians, and Rangers are their last, air quote, easy games for the Bombers. After that, it'll be games against teams they need to beat to get into the playoffs, and the competition gets stiffer. The last nine games of the season are against the Red Sox, Blue Jays, and Rays. It's put-up-or-shut-up time for the Yankees. We talk about their recent stretch and welcome in fantastic actor Steven Sharippa from The Sopranos and Blue Bloods, of course. It's all straight ahead on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. All rise, here's a Pinstripe Pod. Pinstripe Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast with the New York Post. I'm Chris Sheeran alongside my co-host, four-time World Series champion with the Yankees, lockdown reliever, Jeff Nelson. You'll hear our return to depression Met fan producer, Jake Brown, as well. I mean, we all knew, didn't we? Follow the whole crew on Twitter, at Chris Sheeran, yes, at NYNelly43 and at Jake Brown Radio. We'll be joined in the second half of the podcast by a Yankees fan and legendary actor from The Sopranos. You don't want to miss this. The great Steve Sharippa, and he was, every sense of the word, great with us. And Jeff, let's start first, though, with this Yankee team after uh, getting swept up by the Toronto Blue Jays and losing two of three to the Mets. They have won three straight games as we tape this here on a Thursday before they have to play the Orioles in their last game down at Camden Yards this year. But it's games like last night on Wednesday night that still scare the hell out of me with this team. I know they beat the Twins, but they had to work their rear ends off to beat a lowly Twins team just playing out the string. 6-5 and 10 innings. Gary Sanchez saved their bacon in that game. The 7-2 win on Tuesday, that was their first win by more than three runs since the last win in their 13-game winning streak. And then they have to play another one-run game against the team with the worst record in the league. The bullpen still looks cooked. Chad Green gave up another home run. I'm still worried about this team, even though, Jeff, they won their last three. Yeah, and there's three teams, including the Blue Jays and the Red Sox that are all eight games out. Nobody's going to win the East. It's going to be the Rays. So you can pretty much put that on the board because there's only, what, 16 games left? And, you know, that's going to be pretty tough for any of those teams to come back and try to take over the Rays. But what I, I do not understand how a team in the major leagues can be as bad as the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, it's a shame because I grew up an Oriole fan, and I do not understand how an organization can be so bad consistently year after year. And I guess you know, I I, I guess it's a it's fifty fifty on that ninth inning, bringing the infield in with one out, and you're up by run one run. Because if you think about it, if the infield was back, that's an out, and you have two outs, and, and the Orioles still have a three two lead. Glaber Torres was by far. I mean, he was at third base when the ball dropped. So if he would have caught it, the shortstop would have caught it, he would have been out. And it would have been a tie score going to the bottom of the ninth. But great heads-up base running by Torres. He winds up scoring the winning run. Chapman was outstanding in the ninth inning. He looked great. But it just, I, I can't believe, it's like looking at, I don't want to even say a triple-A team. I, I want to say an A-ball team every single time a team goes in there and plays Baltimore. 19 years. I just counted it up. 19 years from 1998 to this year. There have been 19 years the Baltimore Orioles 
have had a losing record mixed in there with three uh, playoff appearances. So yeah. And how, how do you, how do you, this is, you know, it was funny when we were at the Mets game, I told, you know, we talked about this last time and Rob Manford was two suites down. Can he honestly say this game is heading in the direction that we want when you have teams like the Baltimore Orioles, when you have baseball that is being played the way it is? Yes. Hopefully they go back and nothing happens as far as the collective bargaining agreement when it's up in December 1st. And, you know, both sides come to an agreement and there's no work stoppage. They can't afford that. You know, you won't draw at all and you'll lose sponsorships. The game will go way down the hill, maybe in the toilet. The seven innings will be done and that guy on second will be done starting 2022. But this game, you know, with teams playing the way the Orioles are playing, it's just embarrassing. It is embarrassing. And let's not forget about the Diamondbacks. Both of these teams are pretty much um, playing for the first overall draft pick in 2022. Uh, They're battling for the worst record in the majors. And I don't know about you, Jeff. uh, And just to wrap this up real quick with the Orioles before we get back to the Yankees. If you're on this Baltimore Orioles team, I would have to assume if Jeff Nelson was out in the bullpen, he's punching uh, holes through brick walls out there if, if, if you're on this team. Well, you have to do. You're right. You have to do something. I would. I probably would have retired. I would have never signed with the Orioles <laughs> if that was the case. And it's a shame. But you know, I've read some things about what both sides or the you, uh, the front office has proposed to the players' association as far as okay, the one hundred million dollar minimum as far as your salary, a team salary. I, I think that almost has to be there because that way you'll have teams like the Orioles or the Diamondbacks at least improve their roster in a sense that they may be more competitive. Uh, you know, and, and also here's another thing. Would it be 99 losses if they go back to a balanced schedule? I, I think I, I, they might, they have to prove that. And maybe it is that interleague play is, is one of those that that's a moneymaker. They still enjoy it. They still like it because if not, you're going to have teams like the Orioles, the teams like the Diamondbacks. I mean, you look at both of their divisions and the Diamondbacks are playing the Giants, the Padres, the, uh, the Dodgers. They're just, they're just constantly getting crushed by these teams. And the same with the Orioles. I mean, when you have four teams that are above you that are all playoff contending teams and you're playing these teams 19 times, you're going to lose 110 games. So this scheduling that they're doing right now, I think has to change as well in order to help these teams. That's that's a great point. Let's get back to the Yankees now beating teams that they should, which is true. They have one more at Baltimore, as we mentioned, and three against the Indians and three against the Rangers at Yankee Stadium. And those seven games, Jeff, I know the rest of the games, they have the one against the Orioles, three Indians, three Rangers. So that's seven. And then they have nine against the Red Sox, Blue Jays and Rays. So 16 games left. Every game is a must win let's be honest but none more than these next seven because after these next seven you've got teams that are battling with you to get into the postseason not so much the Rays but think about what the Rays could do in that last three game set of the season you know they're probably going to have the division locked up soon but how much would Tampa love to knock the New York Yankees out of the playoffs if they have the opportunity. Oh, absolutely. But then you have to think, you know, and this is going to be a sticky situation as well. You know, when you go into those last three games that the Yankees are teetering in in that wild card hunt, I mean, what do the Rays do? I mean, you want to try to line up your starting rotation, but at the same time, you have to try to respect the Blue Jays and the Red Sox as far as, hey, I've got to go out there with with my starting lineup, with my rotation. I got to pitch the guys in my bullpen to try to 
to win a game instead of try resting these guys because of the respect factor that you want to show the other two teams that are in the hunt with the Yankees. So, you know, it's going to be interesting those last three games if it comes down to that. Uh, Hopefully it does because neither one of the three teams, Red Sox, Blue Jays, or Yankees, are going to win the division. It's just a matter of time of when the Rays clinch the East. But, you know, the Yankees are playing good, good baseball. Now they have to sweep. They've had a hard time completing the sweep this year as far as winning the first two games and winning that third game they have to go in and do that because you know Cleveland's not a pushover they're going to see Cleveland on a weekend and they're not the Orioles they're not the Texas Rangers so they can't take these teams lightly especially the Indians they're out of it I mean not technically or mathematically but they're out of it but they still have a decent team over there I would like to uh, be the first to apologize to Brett Gardner, by the way, (laughs) over his last 20 games. He's sitting over 300 and he had the huge blue pit that brought in two runs. He had a hustle double in that game last night is right out of the box. His team is up two one. John Flaherty and I were doing a test for the S network. So I got to do play by play for a Yankee game and it was uh, extremely fun. It didn't go out anywhere. But uh, I, I had a lot of fun with Flash. And during the broadcast, quote unquote, Flash said he knew he, he was going to second as soon as he hit that ball. And Flash said it pumped him up because of the hustle. It pumped me up, Nelly, because here's a professional who knows where his team is right now, who knows that Nestor Cortez pitched into the seventh inning and was phenomenal. I think he had 10 or 11 strikeouts, a career high. He was unbelievable. And Brett Gardner knew they needed an insurance run. They needed somebody in scoring position to get another run to help his team win. That was the heads up play on top of the hustle play that I loved out of Gardner. His last 20 games, Jeff, and he historically throughout his career, I don't think he's been a good second half player, but he's been really good, especially lately. Yeah, he has. I mean, whether he should be in the lineup or shouldn't be, you know, I, I think it's always a question, you know, just because of his, I, I won't even say his age. I mean, he doesn't play like his age. And I think age is, you know, overrated anyway, as far as, oh, he's too old. And, you know, it's up to the player, whether they take care of themselves and, and go out and, and their skill set is still at least competitive enough to contribute to a team. Uh, you know, when he's in there, he's going to make, he's going to try his best to make something happen. Uh, he always takes the extra base. He still, he doesn't have the speed that he used to when he was in his late 20s or early 30s, but he still has good enough speed that he can can make things happen on the base pass. He'll still put pressure on other teams. Now, you know, yes, he he's a very smart player and he's a veteran guy, and he's going to make things happen. And it's it's a tough situation as far as trying to get him get him in the lineup because if you think about it, you know, Judge hasn't done a bad job in center field, and you want to see Gallo, you want to see Stanton. Stanton's actually played a lot better since he's been or hit better since he's been in the field. And I actually like the move, and it, it should have happened anyway. This is what the Yankees should have done in the wintertime: is move Glaber Torres to second. That's where his numbers were. He put all his numbers, home runs, everything up as a second baseman, and they continued, I don't know why, because the computer said to put him at short. But now he's at second, and I think he's more comfortable, and it seems like he's having more fun, and that's what you want. But overall, you know, when Gardner's in there, he makes things happen, and, and it's, it's good to see because there's been so much controversy as far as sitting him. Why is he playing? He, they should have released him. And I don't know about releasing him, but I was probably on board with, you know, why is he playing so much? Do you really want him out there when he's hitting under 200? Yeah, I don't know how many years, probably the last five, where he was supposed to be, or the last four, where he was supposed to be like a fourth outfielder, giving guys, spelling guys uh, for a day off in the outfield, mainly Aaron Hicks, 
who can't stay on the field at all throughout his Yankee tenure. Every year he's expected to be a fill-in, and every year he gets thrust into the starting lineup. And every year, Brett Gardner works his rear end off, and uh, this is the result they're getting right now. That was a huge hit. If they lose that game to the Orioles after the Blue Jays and Red Sox both won earlier, that is a letdown, especially against a team like Baltimore, who you just said, as a franchise, just looks like they're trying to lose every game. I I don't know. It, it, It has to hit you as a as a professional to be out there and, and knowing that it's a battle for the the first draft pick and maybe they're tanking maybe they're not but you're not going to see any of their young hitters give up at bats guys like mount castle guys like hayes guys like cedric mullins they're not going to take a back seat and say ah yeah we want the first draft pick no they're, they're going to go out there and they're going to try to hit the damn ball and win ball games but um I, I, for the most part you look at the bottom end of that lineup and it's just like how the yankees are in a one-run game with these guys is beyond me. John Means is a great pitcher. I get it. The Yankees did a great job working his pitch count. They just couldn't really do a lot of damage against him. Gary Sanchez had a home run taken away from him by Mullins. It was a tremendous catch. But I want to throw this at you, Jeff. And it's something I heard yesterday. If there's a three-way tie for the AL wild card, if it's the Red Sox, Yankees, and the Blue Jays, it's team A, team B, and team C. If they all have the same record, that is, at the end of the season, the Red Sox would be team A. The Blue Jays would be Team B. They would play a game. The winner of that game would be wild card number one. Then the loser of that game would play Team C, the Yankees. They would host the Yankees. The winner of that game would be wild card two, and then they would have to go to play the winner of the Blue Jays or Red Sox from that first game. So if you're the Yankees... Everyone in the room is now dumber. I award you zero points, and may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> but that's that's not me. That's Major League Baseball. Why is it so confusing? It's, oh uh, you know, the, the thing of it is, is it's disadvantage for the Red Sox-Blue Jays. If you think about it, they have to now... One of those teams, they have to use their best pitcher to, to try to get the number one spot. So, okay, so this is this is going to be a strategy for both those teams if this team if this happens. Do I want to use my best pitcher knowing that I'm going to play, one of those teams are going to play two games anyway? One of them. Why would I use my best pitcher to try to get the number one spot, which probably I don't think either team will use their best pitcher. I'm using my best pitcher to face the Yankees because that way I know I'm getting in and I'm going to have to play another game against a team I just either lost to. Jake, I I award you a thousand points. That was a tremendous Billy Madison reference there. (laughs) Uh, But but Nelly, I and... Rest in peace, Norm McDonald. Uh, Got to say that too. Yes. I, I can't legend. believe we lost him. He was a comedy legend. Said whatever Turd the hell Ferguson. he wanted to say. Yes, Tur- that's my name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Those Jeopardies were unbelievable. But Jeff, you make you make such a great point. Uh, that puts the teams that play first at a very, very big disadvantage because they they have to make that decision. All right, do we pitch our best here? But look, think about the Yankees. They have to win a game just to get into the wild card game to get into the ALDS where now they have used two pitchers and now they're starting the a series against the Rays if they make it that far 
with God knows who's going to start that. Here comes Nestor Cortez for game yeah, one of the movie. Hey, yeah. I'd be comfortable this is a nice with that. Thing about, yeah, this is a nice thing about the must-win division thing. I, you know, I actually works out really well the way baseball is, has developed this line of playoffs because, that, that I mean, that's why the emphasis is winning the division. That's why you want the wild card to have a disadvantage. You want these teams to be able to blow out their top pitchers. And, you know... I think if it comes down to it, all three teams are going to wind up wasting their number one guys anyway going in those last three games or last couple games of the season because they can't afford to line up their rotation. They can't afford to rest guys uh, in order to get into the playoffs. So they're going to have to – Cole's going to have to continue. He threw very well coming off that hamstring, so that's nice to see. But behind them, who do you think is the number two? I mean, who's the number two in this in this slot? Is it Nestor right Cortez? Now, yes. Yes, it is. Uh, People are going to laugh at me. People are going to at me, whatever. Do whatever you want. It's Nestor Cortez. He's been the most consistent starter throughout his time being a starter with the Yankees. He's been not only the most consistent, but one of the most reliable. That guy went into the seventh inning last night. I turned the flash and I said, I'm sorry. I know I have my glasses on. Is that Garrett Cole or is it Nestor Cortez? The guy just, and, and another big point that I brought up with John Flaherty during the game, he's showing the rest of the staff, you don't have to throw 98 miles an hour to get major leaguers out. I think he topped out Nelly at 93, but it's the different deliveries, his location that he hits. The guy just knows how to pitch. In a time in this game, Jeff, where all we see is velocity, 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 and hardly any command, we see a guy in Nestor Cortez because he has to, let's be honest, because he doesn't have the velocity. We're seeing a guy in Nestor Cortez who knows how to pitch. Who knew? Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was just looking forward to this weekend and the other three teams. I mean, the Ra- they have cakewalks. You, you know, you look at the Yankees, they play the Indians. The first two pitchers, please sack the Zavelli. They're, they're pretty decent guys on the mound. The other the guy on Sunday is, has a six ERA. But the Blue Jays have the Twins. They'll probably get fat on them. The Blue Jays are at home. The Rays have the Tigers. They're at home. The Rays are at home. They're going to get fat. There's a four-game series against them. And the Red Sox have the Orioles at home. So, you know, that that's when you start watching scoreboards and you're like, you, you know, this is a tough part of the season for the Yankees because oh, it's going to be a tough weekend because you see the other teams and who they play. They're crappy teams, and you're sitting there saying, "Okay, we have Cleveland, and you know they're not a bad team. You know they're they're not great, but they're they're still you know a couple games under 500. You know, so they're going to have to they're going to have to watch themselves now going forward. You know they're going to do it. You know the, the Kluber experiment is still going to exist. I'm sure. Can they afford it? Can they keep affording to have no. them go out there and throw no. three innings when you have 16 games left and you're trying to get the wild card? Because the division are, is done. You are going to destroy your bullpen if you continue to run Corey Kluber. And the bullpen is not that great right now. Yes, unless he can give and you length. Continue. And you got to tell him when he goes out there, all right, the three and four inning outings are over. You're out there. So figure it out. And just one more thing before we wrap and, and, and go to Steve Sharippa. And it's something that John Flaherty said to me last night. And it's something, and I gave you credit, Nelly. Uh, you said in July to watch out for the Toronto Blue Jays. They're going to be dangerous. And Flash said something last night that stuck with me. And he said, there's nothing more dangerous than a team that is young and confident. And that's exactly what Toronto is. Well, they're probably the most athletic team in baseball, too. You know, maybe one of them anyway. And I might be the 
probably the most athletic in the Eastern Division. And what do they say? Young and dumb? I mean, and they're not dumb, but that's, that's they, they don't know any better. They're like, you know what? You can't beat us. And with that lineup, and you get you have two really good pitchers in that starting rotation, they're going to be a handful. They're going to be a handful for any team because they're putting up some runs that, that not a lot of teams in Major League Baseball, not even the Dodgers are doing right now. I'm going to give Jake a pass this week. We usually use this time before we go to our guests to rib Jake a little bit on the Mets, but Steve Sharippa is uh, is going to Sharippa <laughs> Jake in our next I'm gonna segment. I'm going to Sharippa Luis Rojas. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to strip him a new one. They have, they have medicine for what he's about to say at the end of the show. Yeah, they do. They, they, they do. do. It'll, it'll clear it up. Yes. Well, let's let's wrap this up very nicely. Uh, get to our guest, Steve Sharippa. But after this quick break, and then we'll get to Steve Sharippa next on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. We are absolutely thrilled to have actor Steven Sharippa on here with us. You could follow him on Twitter at Steven Sharippa. Also on Instagram, Steve Sharippa Official. He's the co-host of Talking Sopranos podcast. Of course, he was Bobby Bacala on The Sopranos. Uh, he's filming Blue Bloods on CBS. And he's got a new book coming out, Woke Up This Morning. It's coming out November 2nd, The Oral History on The Sopranos. Looking forward to that. First and foremost, Steve, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. Oh, good to see you guys. Thanks for having me. First memory of the Yankees, buddy. We know you're a huge Yankee fan. Going to the stadium, first favorite player you latched on to. Give us a little bit of your Yankee history. I was at, uh, I was at, in 1969, I was at uh, Mickey Mantle when he retired. I was at uh, that game, and I have an autograph, which I don't have with me here, of Mrs. Babe Ruth. Wow. I got an autograph on the program, which is pretty cool. I don't know how many people have Mrs. Babe Ruth's (laughs) autograph. (laughs) But... uh, uh, and then I was a Met fan for many years. Don't, 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 I don't know. Were they the I dark years? Like they that. were the dark <laughs> years. <laughs> was that the dark years? Oh, no, that I was in 69 when they, when they won. They beat, they beat my Orioles back then. I lost my way for a while. Uh, <laughs> and then I came back. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was a big deal, you know. And, you know, what's funny is, you know, Michael Imperioli, who I do the podcast with, as we talk, he was there. I mean, he's younger than me, but he was there that day. His father had taken him, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I was, uh, of course, everybody was a Mantle fan, you know. And uh, I, in those days, I liked Joe Pepitone. He was a crazy bastard, but uh, he's from Brooklyn, you know, where I'm from. And uh <laughs> He could have been, you know, if he wasn't so insane, I guess, uh, you know, off the field activities, I think he could have been a great, great, great player. You know, the year before that, Steve, since you brought up Pepitone, this just came up because the anniversary of Mickey Mantle hitting his last home run against Denny McLean at the old Tiger Stadium was a couple of days ago in 1968. And Denny McLean basically told the call the catcher out, told the catcher wherever he wants the ball, tell him that's where I'm going to put it because it was McLean's idol. Mickey didn't believe him. The first pitch right down the middle, the second pitch right down the middle, Mickey fouled it back. And then finally, he just asked him, where do you want it and he pointed to his knees he gave it to him knee high and he hit it out of the park the next batter was Pepitone and it's out there in lore I don't know if it's true I wasn't around yet but Pepitone my father used to tell me this story put his hand up where he wanted to pitch and McLean dusted him oh that's funny (laughs) 
When was it when you got away from the dark side and you decided to come back to the Yankees? I think anybody who's a Met fan now anyway is, is probably losing their ways a little bit and probably should cross over the tracks. You know, I've told this story before, and I know it's going to to some people it's going to sound whatever. But, you know, I lived in Las Vegas for many years, right? I was born in Brooklyn. I moved to Las Vegas. I lived there for 25 years. Wife and kids were born there. I come back to do The Sopranos, so I moved back to New York City. And it's opening day maybe 2000. I don't know. But I have someone call the Mets. I want to buy tickets, four tickets to go to the Met game. Here's my credit card, blah, blah, blah. They gave me the worst seats. When I tell you, when I tell you, I was in right field. I was embarrassed in front of my wife and kids. I'm not kidding you. I could have scalped tickets on the street. <laughs> I was embarrassed. I mean, they just flat out stuck it to me. You know, they weren't cheap. And then I just said, you know what? F- these guys. I'm going back to the Yankees, and that's the end of that. And uh, I've been a Yankee fan, and I and I love all the people the Yankees, and they always been nice to me. I'm doing something next week with them too. Uh, we're filming something there. But yeah, that's what made me. That's what made me go south there. You know, I I, I don't know. They really mistreated me. Jake, are you taking notes? Jake, Jake <laughs> is a Met fan. Boy, what's uh, the matter with you? Jake? I, 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 well, I was a Yankee fan for a year in 98 when one of Nelly's teams, because my family was, and then I switched over to the Mets, and my life's just been miserable for the last 21 Well, everybody's life that's a Mets fan, they're miserable. And uh, well, it looks like they're not getting any better under Steve Cohen. I mean, you know. Yeah, he's tweeting up a storm this morning. On, I mean, uh, what is that? What's with the tweeting? What are you doing? Go yeah. in and talk to go, them. Stop go, go win baseball games. Stop tweeting. He's trying to win public tweeting. opinion. Yeah, how about yeah. tweet, fi- I'm firing Luis Rojas today. Then you'll get the most retweets you've ever gotten in your life. <laughs> and then not only that, uh, you know, I, I, what are you tweeting? Be hands-on. I mean, does he need the attention? I guess he does. That's why he bought the team. You know, it's a, it, it's a monument to his ego. Steve, you're 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 a tremendous actor. I, I loved you on The Sopranos, and I, I know the movies and the actors that I. You're you're welcome. You're very welcome. I know the movies and the actors that I followed when I grew up. I was born in '73, so I, I was a huge fan of the Cannonball Run movies. They had those ensemble casts with everybody in it. The damn Rat Pack was in those movies for crying out loud. Who did you grow up maybe attaching yourself to as an actor, and who maybe did you meet throughout your career as an actor that you? always wanted to meet or and or work with sometimes you got to be careful uh, if you meet your heroes you know that we've all been burned by that haven't we i mean you go up to say hello to someone that you admired and then you know like de niro if you say hello to him he's stuck for an answer this <laughs> you know if he don't have a script in front of him he can't have a conversation so that was one i worked with him and I, very disappointed you know who i obviously i, I didn't always want to be an actor but uh i admired and still admire paul savino and danny aiello those kind of guys were in my wheelhouse i mean listen I'm not going to play an English professor. I'm a blue-collar guy, and I play blue-collar roles. Cops, mob guys, detectives, chefs, you know. So I, Danny Aiello, Paul Savino, those were guys when I went, wow, I think I can do that, you know. And Paul Savino I did a movie with early on, and we went to lunch, and I was ecstatic. And I also worked with Peter Falk, who I admired a lot. And I got to work with Peter, a five-page scene, and uh, that was one thing that I really, really enjoyed. He was a tremendous guy, an actor. And uh, so th- those were the guys, you know, those 
kind of guy. So I can't, can't who am I going to admire? A guy, you know, the English actor, Kevin Klein. I mean, they're wonderful actors, but I can't do that, you know? Why is that? <laughs> you know, I feel as you know, you meet athletes and some, some will blow you off, but you know, most of the time they're all, they're all pretty nice. And then you meet, you meet actors and I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them are that way. A lot of them, you know, I, they, they don't know how to act or interact with normal people or just regular people or even yourself. I mean, you're an actor yourself. You're, you're well known and you can't even have a conversation with a fellow actor. I met, I was at the U S open. I tweeted out, these guys were laughing. I met Leonardo DiCaprio. Well, I didn't meet him. I went up to him and we were in the same suite and I tried to carry a conversation on him. I introduced and said, Hey, you know, former Yankee or whatever. He goes, Oh, Hey, Hey, you used to pitch. And then you couldn't even carry a conversation on with this guy. I mean, he had, zero personality and i don't know if he was was whether it was socially awkward or what it was but it's just it's difficult you meant, mentioned de niro what, what's the deal with that why why is it that way i i don't know i mean i i mean i've met leonardo DiCaprio a few times he was fine i don't know i don't know you know first of all listen this is what i always say i've been acting for 22 years making a living i had a whole nother life before this i've made a really good living i've been really lucky i've taken care of my family you know we're not doing brain surgery. Somebody writes the lines <laughs> and I say the lines as naturally as I possibly can. You know, some guys, some actors, they think they're, f you know, changing the world. You know, I don't look at it so much that way. You give some people that watching the TV show I'm on, they're getting enjoyment out of that. You believe me as a gangster or you don't. You believe me as a cop or you don't. You know, there's a whole nother world of all this and I don't buy it, you know. And and I think some are shy and socially awkward. Some don't want to be bothered. I think they stick their nose down at you. Who are you? And also between actors, they don't always root for each other. It's not like musicians that do or ball players. You know, you want to see your teammate do well, Jeff. You know, you'll go, it's Guy, I hope he hits a homer right here. You know, you want that. A lot of these guys are going, who's this guy? He hasn't, you know, he just started acting now. There's people been busting their ass for 30 years. And, you know, there's a lot of that. They don't take the time. I see it all the time. The one thing about the Soprano cast, they were all regular guys and girls. And they were very nice to people. Go out of their way. That I got to tell you. you know? Well, unless you try to, unless you try to, unless there's a guy behind you trying to take your job and then you hope he blows out his arm. That's the best. Yeah. Thing I get that. I mean, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. For yeah. the most part. It, it's so nice to hear you say that because that's, that's all you heard about the Sopranos cast, Steve, that it was like a family. And to hear you say that, I mean, that to, to, to make it true, uh, to hear one of the actors say that means a lot because that show i mean you came into so many houses so many homes i'm half italian half irish so sitting there watching the show it's kind of like watching a couple of my uncles on the screen so it was kind of cool for me to sit there and watch that show develop just how what was it like for you you were at a wedding in 1999 you just happened to be in new york and you read for an fbi agent and you read for bobby are, are you glad that you got the role of bobby and not the agent sure but first of all one of my favorite lines on The Sopranos, when Christopher, he gets shot and he's laying in the bed and uh, he says he went to hell and he said, hell is an Irish bar. What do you say? Hell is St. Patrick's Day every day <laughs> in an Irish bar. Something like that. It's a you great know, line. I, but, I, uh, I, I forget it specifically, but you, you brought up that line and immediately I thought of Paulie. And yeah. when he said, I could... Uh, 
Where, how long you got to be in purgatory? 3,000 yeah, yeah. years? I could do that standing on my did head. They, did they have the horns or did he have the milk? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I had been acting. I was the entertainment director at the Riviera Hotel, right? Right. And I had been acting, dabbling around, you know. Never thought about making a living at it. It was fun to me. It was a hobby. And I started getting some stuff. I did a King of Queens. I did Chicago Hope. I did... Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, I was, you know, dabbling. I had an, a friend of mine was an agent, and he would send me out. He, he uh, weren't even officially signed. He was doing me as a, as a favor. But I started getting some stuff. So now you go, when the stakes get higher, it gets tougher. Just like, right, you're in the minors, and now you're in the majors, the stakes are higher, right? So I came to New York for a wedding. A friend of mine was a writer for Saturday Night Live. Uh, and uh, I came in. I told the agent as an afterthought, see if you can get me to read for that show. I hardly even watched it. And I, uh, he said they faxed me the sides, you know, uh, and I went up to Broadway, 50-something Street, and uh, uh, George Ann Walken, Christopher Walker's wife, is a casting director. And I read for... Uh, FBI agent. She said, I don't see you as that. Uh, read this guy. We got somebody in mind. And I, you know, cold red bacala. They called me back the following week. I wasn't going to come. I said, I got to spend airfare, put myself up. It was my wife kind of pushed me. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, you know, the next day they called me, I got the part and uh, I paid the first year. I had to pay my own way. It cost me 24 grand to make 22 grand. I flew myself back and forth, put myself up. And then the following year, they moved us back here, you know. But uh, uh, right place, right time, a lot of luck. I worked very hard at it. But, you know, I don't go to that wedding. I'm probably not talking to you now. Hey, you make your own luck, Steve. Uh, and, you know uh, what I mean. Yeah, I respect, yeah, you know. yeah. Uh, you know, so, you know, that's how it worked for me, you know. Uh, but I never, it wasn't like this dream. I want to be an actor someday. It was just kind of, I fell into it. And then I worked very hard. I got an acting coach. And I still work with somebody to this day, you know, uh, you know, when I have stuff. So, you know, then I, I was on another series, then Blue Bloods. Uh, I've been on since 2015, you know, and then I'll ride off into the sunset soon, hopefully. <laughs> you know, I have, I have a fascination about the mafia and, the go and gangsters and stuff. I try to watch everything. I've met, met a few. And, uh, you know, it's always being in New York is such a most, is one of the most, obviously the most exciting city in, in, I think, of America. Did you have to do a lot of studying studying for that? I mean, did you have, or did you already know, or was, did that come second nature to you as far as playing that role? You know, I, I grew up in Bensonhurst, which at the time in the 60s and 70s was a big mob area. Very big. So, you knew the guys. I mean, you know, uh, I joke, but it's not a joke. It's like you, you read the, the, the daily news and you go, look at this. Uh, Joey, my uh, baseball coach, his uncle, uh, he killed three people. I had no <laughs> idea. <it> was <laughs> you know, so there was a lot of that. And they were around and it was mostly Italian-American neighborhood. It's, it's kind of changed now. But there was all social clubs and there was all these people around in the candy stores, social clubs, friends of my father, your little league coach, for real. You know, they were wise guys, connected guys. And so I just kind of came from that world. You know, I, I have friends that I played ball with that did 25 years and I have friends that became doctors. So it was like a mixture. So I didn't have to study that world, you know. Uh, they would. I lived in Little Italy for a couple of seasons. One day I'm taking my dirty laundry down a dry cleaner, and a guy stops me. Rocky, his name is, big guy. Hey, Steve. Hey, how you doing, Rock? He said, you know, I love the show, right? But 
anybody who ever whacked anybody knows that's not how you do it. <laughs> right, right. I got to get to the cleaners. I'll be talking to you. <laughs> and Michael Imperioli had a, uh, I think he was in Rayos with a couple of guys and a guy uh, said, let me give you a tip. And he it was, showed him how to strangle a guy from behind. You know, they, they give you tips. They think you're kind of a real mob guy. You're going to need this stuff. So. Did you ever think when you were little that bat you were using might have been used for something else? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you got some of that. Uh, I much I enjoy playing the detective more because, uh, you know, they come up to you. Hey, I love what you're doing. I said, do you believe me as a detective? Oh, absolutely. I know a lot of guys like you. I like hearing that more than, you know, another big, fat, sweaty Italian guy come up here, you know. This is how you hey, strangle someone. You know, my, my, my nephew's doing five years in Rikers. All right, what do you want me to do? Uh, all right, I got this for you. Bigger Yankee fan, because I know he worked on Blue Bloods with you a little bit. You or Nick Taturo? Oh, Nick is the biggest Yankee fan in the history of the Yankees. I love Nick to death. <laughs> but he's going to, poor guy's going to, God forbid, have a heart attack. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. Is, I feel bad for Nick. He li- Listen, I'm a Yankee fan. I'm a big Nick fan. I don't, you know, my day doesn't get ruined. I don't live and die by it. You know what I mean? My wife is a, a huge Yankee fan, but poor Nick. I mean, it's, I'm worried. I worry for him sometimes. <laughs> we do too. We had him on the podcast a couple yeah. of times. He's and, going and, crazy. Yeah, we let him vent. We just we bring Ooh. him on and we let him vent. And then something good will happen, and then he'll switch up. I love Judge, and then two days later, this <laughs> Judge. What the <laughs> f- <laughs> he doing? <laughs> Uh, you gotta love his passion, and, and we did a movie together Monday night, Monday night something. It was about Monday night football, and we we had a scene together years ago. I, I like Nick a lot. He, but boy, is he passionate. Yeah, yes, I don't, I don't live and breathe. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't live and breathe. Uh, I'm a long time uh, suffering Nick fan. Same until this past year, and I love the Knicks, uh, win or lose, but uh, you know. There's a little bigger fish to fry, you know? Monday Night Mayhem is what you're Monday Night Mayhem. To. Good movie. John Totoro plays Howard Cosell and does a, a great job, just like he did when he played Billy Martin. Oh, my God, he was great. I mean, was tremendous. Uh, John Totoro is just as good an actor as you get. And if you ever see the show The Night Of on HBO, incredible. They only did nine episodes. Watch that show. And, and Nick, Nick is great, too. You know, I actually auditioned. Nick had a pilot years ago, and I auditioned with Nick, uh, for Nick, for one of his uh, close friends. And I was going to take that, and then they offered me The Sopranos, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Well, how yeah. about uh, old Yankee Stadium, new Yankee Stadium? What's, uh, what's your feelings about both? Uh, you know, I like both. I mean, the new stadium's fantastic. I mean, you know, the Yankees are nice enough to give me tickets. I eat in the legends. I go down. I mean, there's no better way to watch. Unlike the Mets. Unlike the Mets. Jake I Brown. will say legends blows the Mets, the little Clover club they away. I mean, we don't even have lobster. Dogs, the right? they have That's the what they dogs. call it. The Clover club. The Clover club's like the one at the bottom that has free no food. It's like stink. four things. No yeah. They, they don't stink. have lobster you, shrimp. You got popcorn, uh, like, popcorn. Yeah. You got uh, hot dogs. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I've been to yeah. Springfield. Jake's Jack. 
Uh, they don't even Wolf, have hot uh, dogs. Jeff Wolfhard is very ge- was very generous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hot dogs were generous for him. Yeah, you know really what the one happened. thing about the one thing about the Mets, and it's very obvious, right? The Yankees, all the you know, really, once you're a Yankee, always a Yankee, right? And old timers game and this tradition, and older players, retired guys are around the stadium. Old timers say the Mets don't do a whole lot of that. There's not a whole lot of their relationship with the guys from the old days. I I think the Yankees have taken better care of their ex-players, uh, try to find them a payday as than the Mets. No, you're no, you're absolutely right because uh, you know that's in Jan uh, July was the first time that they all of a sudden started having or they brought back appearances again. So I do quite a few things for the Yankees, and that's when you see a lot of ex players. A lot of the World Series guys from my years are always around. You see Mickey Rivers, uh, Cecil Fielder, Jim Leyrich. You see Cone O'Neill. You see all these guys around the sweet area, and they're always doing something. Tina Martinez, Bernie. Uh, you know, it, it's. I don't know of any other organizations. I know the Phillies are actually pretty good about bringing back their alumni and having them do things, but I don't know of any other team that are like the Yankees as far as keeping their alumni involved and, and using them to, I mean, you look, I mean, the Yankees have such great history and, and there are years. I mean, everybody now are in their fifties and sixties and early seventies from the year times that we play. Yeah, no, listen, I, I mean, I'm around, you know, I, you know, this year I went to one game, I, you know, I was, I wasn't in town and with this whole COVID, but uh, you know, in years past, I would go to, you know, a dozen games a year, you know, uh, at least. And uh, players were always around. I just, I sat behind Willie Randolph the other day. He was doing a signing or something there, you know? So uh, it is a complete different situation, but I don't know. Listen, will the Mets ever be fixed? It's a different vibe than the Yankees completely, you know, just everything in general, you know? Steve, let me let me ask you this before we let you go. Uh, the new book, The Oral History of the Sopranos, woke up this morning. It's coming out November 2nd. Who's involved with it? You and, and is there anybody else? Is, uh, it's Michael... me and Michael Imperioli. Okay. Me and Michael Imperioli who played Christopher. And it's uh, 98% of the cast, the writers, the producers, David Chase himself. We have a podcast called Talking Sopranos, and this came out of that. You know, uh, we're coming down to the wire. It'll end this year, you know, and we've had just about everyone on. So this is the podcast plus 50%. How they got the job, how they auditioned. Some people auditioned for numerous spots, uh, numerous, uh, you know, different actors. Who who, uh, auditioned for Carmela and Tony, you know, Tony Soprano came down to three people, an actor named Michael Rispoli, Stevie Van Zandt from the E Street Band who played Silvio, and Jim Gandafini. So it's all behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, I just told a story that Michael had told. Jim and Michael in season four had to throw a body off the cliff, a body bag. It was Ralphie's body. So they set up all the lights, and they did all that stuff. And then they said, you're going to have about a three or four hour wait. We got to wait for it to get dark. They went to the trailer. They pulled out a bottle of wild turkey and drank the bottle. (laughs) So now they're drunk on their ass and they chained them to the tree just to make sure they didn't fall off the cliff when they're throwing the body back. And it's a very funny story, but of course, Certain people picked it up with they're drunk, they're, you know, the, the, the negative, negative. But so there's all kinds of stories. We talk about Paulie Walnuts, Paulie Walnuts. They could not figure out what his apartment would look like. So 
somebody finally said, let's, Tony Sirico, the guy is the guy. Let's go to his apartment in Brooklyn and see what it looks like. And that's the apartment you see, you know. And and all his quirks, and he's a hypochondriac, and oh, there's just wonderful stories. I mean, if you're a Soprano fan, you have to have the book. I mean, really, it's 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 really good. It's 550 pages, and some personal pictures. It's 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 good stuff. James Gandolfini, what was he like? Great guy. Nothing like Tony Soprano. Birkenstock wearing, uh, love music, hippie kind of guy. Very generous. I tell the story a lot of times. He uh, gave 16 of us checks for $33,333 each. He had a contract dispute when he settled it. He called each one individually into his office in his trailer and handed us a check. And there's a lot of actors made a lot more money than Jim. And he was just a good guy. He gave about people. Not without his problems, but he, he worried. Did you, you want another tape? Is everything Okay. You know, he really cared about the crew and no phony, not a phony bone in his body. That's great to hear. Steve, I can't even begin to tell you. I've been looking forward to having you on for so long now. It was an absolute pleasure. Follow him on Twitter. Jake Jake haunted me. (laughs) Jake is like herpes. He don't go away. God damn. damn. God damn. He's like that Matt. What the f***? That's probably why I can't get dates. Jake, on the head, no pun intended. That's his epitaph. Jake is like herpes. Oh no! Oh, my God. I want to have my mom hear this one. Jeez. All right, beautiful guys. Great talking to you. Yes, man. at Stephen Sharippa on Twitter, yeah. at Steve Sharippa official on Instagram. Thanks a lot, pal. We appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Thanks. That says goodnight to episode 87, the Charlie Wansowitz edition of the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Brian Mungia for three for producing the show. Go on Apple Podcasts right now. Give us a five-star rating, write in a positive review. We appreciate it. You can also find us on Spotify or wherever else you get your podcast. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We are back on Monday following the Yankees' three-game series in the Bronx with the Indians. Enjoy the games. And your weekend, folks, and thanks for listening to the Pinstripe Pod.